afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Notre Dame Stadium. Zivikowski trying to get to the outside. He has blockers in front. Time for Zivikowski. Belong to beat. Shakes it off. To the five and touchdown. And now it is down. It is over. And the Irish have knocked off number one Clemson. Brady Quinn looking. Pump fakes. He rolls to the near side. Throws it. It's caught by Samaja. Inside the 20. Inside the 10. He's going in. Notre Dame has scored. Jones is the back. He's got it again. And Jones a letter room. Tony Jones makes a cut. Gets a block. And scores. Is that the play that will seal the playoff bid for Fighting Irish? All right, let's do this. The last game preview of the 2021 regular season. This is Sons of Saturday Irish. I'm Tyler Wojak, and I'm joined by my co-host Luke Smith. And today we're here to get you ready for the biggest game of the week on Saturday as the Notre Dame Fighting Irish head to Palo Alto, California to take on the Stanford Cardinal. I'm kidding, obviously, but the good people at Fox wanted to put this game on prime time, and so they did. Um, as kickoff is set to take place at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. local time. Notre Dame comes into this one scorching hot ranked number six in the country. Meanwhile, Stanford has lost their last six games, and I imagine the Stanford faithful can't wait for this game to be over because that means this dreadful season has finally come to an end. Is there a Stanford faithful? I believe there is. Uh, our good friend of the program, Stanford Steve, okay. as a matter of fact, he's adopted the university That didn't, in that his didn't play for the program? I don't know. I guess their alumni probably aren't really see them as like the We're most all dorks. passionate football fans. But then again, Notre Dame is a bunch of nerds, and... People are crazy about them, too. What should we expect on Saturday? Well, Vegas' Notre Dame is 19-point favorites, and the over-under is right around 52.5. And honestly, that might actually be on the conservative side, as Stanford has lost their last three games by an average of 32 points, and they just got smacked by their rival Cal. Um, This is simply not the same Stanford team that shocked the college football world when they beat the Oregon Ducks on October 2nd. They've dealt with a ton of injuries. At this point, they're really just limping to the finish line. But for most of the past decade, this is one of the tougher games on Notre Dame's schedule year in and year out. But now, not so much. So, Luke, how did we even get to this point with the Stanford game? Yeah, that's a good point. To be honest, <clears throat> when you said the date, October 2nd, I realized Notre Dame hasn't lost since that date. That was the last time they lost. And meanwhile, Stanford hasn't won since that date. Um, <laughs> so they've lost six straight. Notre Dame has won six straight. So that's uh, quite the interesting juxtaposition there. But as for the series uh, as a whole, um, I would probably point to David Shaw's own arrogance um, and not firing any of his assistants who have proven time and time again they are not competent at their jobs. I know that he has this weird philosophy where he says that Firing is a cop out, but um, I actually think that it's a cop out to you know just continue to employ these guys who have proven they're not competent coordinators and assistant coaches. Uh, their recruiting has slipped pretty dramatically. They stink. I really hate David Shaw. I always have. Yeah, you're David Shaw hate. I guess I just don't really totally understand it. But every time we've beaten him, he's had he's had excuses. Whether it was in 2012, and he's been complaining about the refs spotting the ball wrong in the on the goal line stand. 2014, he had stuff to complain about. He's just a whiner. Like, that's who David Shaw is, and nothing would give me more pleasure than to watch Notre Dame put up 60 and end his career at Stanford Saturday. Is that on the table? Is that like can he possibly get fired after this year? I mean, maybe. Yeah, I, I, I candidly haven't followed it. 
I don't think Stanford's a place that they really want to go through with that. I mean, especially now with all of the head coaching changes going on in college football, I don't know if they're really in a position where they could make a hire. I feel like a lot of times they like to keep yeah. people. Because uh, Shaw was on the coaching staff when Harbaugh was there, right? Right. He was. Yeah. So I don't really see them going outside and landing a big-time hire. It's like, yes, the, the past couple seasons have been really bad, but is the grass greener for them? I don't really see that. I don't even know if they necessarily need a – a big splash hire. They just need somebody else because he stinks. But um, I, I don't know. You also asked how we got here. I mean, we kind of got here by Notre Dame really trying to emulate the model that, that Jim Harbaugh and Stanford had laid out with their, I think, what was it called? Intellectual brutality or something like that. Um, I think really when that kind of started, it's 2010, I want to say, uh, Stanford came to South Bend and just demolished the Irish uh, with Andrew Luck. And do you remember that fullback they had, like Owen Marisevich, like the blonde-haired guy? Yeah, that game was a complete demolition. They won 37-14, to 14, and honestly, I don't even know if the scoreboard even accurately tells the story there. Didn't Teo have like 20 tackles? Yeah, something like that. I'm looking it up right now. Yeah, so it's Owen Marichich yep. scored on a run and an interception return. They've always got a couple two-way players and poor Dane Chris was just back there getting destroyed. Notre Dame ran for 44 yards total. Floyd actually had a decent game. Eight catches, 110 yards. But you're right, Manti finished with 21 total tackles, eight solo. So at least he had a good day, but for everyone else, it was terrible. And then <laughs> after that game, Brian Kelly said in the post game that essentially that what Stanford had is the sort of program that he wanted Notre Dame to be. Right. They were the measuring stick where they could run the ball really effectively. They were super physical at the line of scrimmage, and they played great defense. And now it's like the complete inverse of that because Stanford can't run the ball, and they can't stop the run. It is really interesting. Was it um, 2011 or 2013? Notre Dame went there. They were like 17-point dogs. Now it's kind of the inverse of that as well because it's their 19-point favorites on the road. Which, I mean, that place was kind of just like a, a graveyard of, of seasons and just end of seasons. Prior to 2019, Notre Dame hadn't won there since 2007. But I don't know. Um, it's, it's like I said, it is kind of a graveyard. I know you're going, right, this Saturday. Yep, going up on Friday and going to the game on Saturday. I've been to Polo Alto one time, mm-hmm. and it was gorgeous, but... I don't really know what to expect from the crowd on Saturday. I'm assuming it's going to be mostly Notre Dame fans by the mm-hmm. end of the game, probably. But they don't really they don't really sell out their games over there at Stanford, and um, the field is essentially a cow pasture. I feel like every former Notre Dame player who has played there always says how terrible the field conditions are. I don't know what it is about the grass and their reluctance to go with turf, but um, has it been the place of of many? Great games where Notre Dame ended up winning. I guess I shouldn't say that because in 2015, that was an all-time classic. But Notre Dame ended up blowing that game on the final drive. Um, Notre Dame put them in a real good good spot on the field because I think it was Isaac Rochelle had a had a penalty. It was either roughing or unnecessary roughing. Yeah, it was a terrible roughing call. That game sucked. Notre Dame was still technically in the playoff hunt. They needed some things to happen, but obviously they had to win that game. They didn't. And then just... Overall, given the talent on that roster, that was kind of a disappointing end of the to an overall, I would say, disappointing season. Not in the sense that you know Notre Dame just failed, but they just they were the most banged up team of all time. Right now, without a question, um, and 
you spoke about the quality of the field. I've only been to the farm one time. Uh, this was way back in 2003. And back then it was an absolute dump uh, to the point where it had a track around the field at the, at this point in time and just bleachers in the stands. Like I was in first grade and I remember asking my dad, why does Stanford play at a high school stadium? Like it was, it was worse than Northwestern back then. sounds like they've done it up since, you know, 18 years that have followed that. But 2003, it was a dump. That game, was actually a, a domination by the Irish. Though. I was going to ask, do you remember the score? Because I've got it up. Yeah, it was uh, Notre Dame 57, Stanford 7. And really what I remember about that game is that Julius Jones had over 200 yards rushing, just absolutely dominated. I think he had like over 100 yards in the first quarter. Um, and I'm, actually, I'm looking at this now, too. Let me pull this up. Yeah, okay, so Ryan Grant, three rushing touchdowns of his own. Sidebar, how did a team with Ryan Grant and Julius Jones go five and six like this one did? Uh, that's kind of ridiculous. The other thing I do remember, and this article I'm reading now speaks to it, Willingham called a fake punt up 50 in the third quarter. <laughs> Put it on his didn't, former team. Yeah, didn't get it. Um, and, oh, man, there are some good ones. Uh, guess the two names that had defensive scores that day. If you guess either of these names, I will be shocked. So, Vontez Duff and Shane Walton were both gone by that point, right? Because they were seniors in 2002. Um, I honestly have no idea. Who was it? Quentin Burrell and Garen Bible. Yeah, I couldn't pick those two out of a line. I know. Yeah. Those could be fake names. I'd have no idea. I was seven. I do remember Quentin Burrell, Garen Bible, very vaguely. Um, this is This is a great close to this article. Here's the epic end. Here's how bad things have been for Stanford. Punter Eric Johnson set school single-season records for number of punts, 86, and yardage, 3,687. The last sentence is, one Stanford fan was heard saying, the only good news is there's no traffic leaving the stadium. I think that that might be the same case for you on Saturday this time around. I would hope so. Um, I don't really know of many people going to this game, and for good reason. Stanford's terrible. I actually know of, of a handful of people going now, Notre Dame people, so I think you'll have a good good crew. All right. Well, there we go. That's some good news. But when did this start for Stanford? I feel like in 2018, that was the last big Notre Dame-Stanford game. It was actually a top-10 matchup. Bryce Love was playing for Stanford at the time, but he was pretty banged up. He goes out during that game, and it was a— Pretty solid game for most of the first half. Notre Dame ended up running away with it. And at the time, that game and that win felt bigger than it eventually was because Stanford ended up not being as good as we thought they were. Their season just sort of fizzled out. Then after that, it's it's just sort of been a slow, steady downhill run for Stanford up until now where they're basically in free fall, losing six in a row. Last season was, was pretty bad, and there's just all kinds of problems. But that really, to me, seemed to be like this the starting point of it all. I think you're right. It's right around then. Because if you recall the year before that, uh, Brandon Wimbush just imploded in the fourth quarter when we were up and lost. And we lost in Palo Alto that last game of the regular season. But that 2018 game was much anticipated. Uh, I mean, that was one of the most fun days I had my senior year of college because I think it was seven versus eight. We might have been favored, but they were the seventh-ranked team. We were eight. And um, what I, I think I remember most in that game is, so that was Dexter's first game back from suspension. 
And I see him walk onto the field for his first snap. And just to no one in particular in the student section, I say he's taking this to the house in his first play. It's just a crib call. So that was kind of just an electric start to an electric year for him. But that game yeah. also gave us the chip long signature throwback to Alize Mack in the fourth quarter. Um, right. That was that was an awesome game from Ian Book. I, I actually watched those highlights recently. And Ian Book to Miles Boykin, I don't think we appreciated enough as as the connection that they had. But you're right. I mean, that Stanford team was still okay. They went nine. Yeah, and they four. were bad. They went nine yeah. and four, but they weren't a top ten team. Right. But at the time, that was one of the biggest home games. I mean, I guess it still is the Brian Kelly era. Um, mm-hmm. I remember I was working that game, and while well, working at ESPN at the time, and I was on the Van Pelt show, and. I told Stanford Steve I was not watching the game in the conference room, so I watched it by myself, took a room, got it on the TV, watched until the end, and then walked into the conference room with a smirk on my face, and he just starts laughing. He's like, who the hell is number two? Because at the time, you're right, Dex hadn't played at all that season, and up until that point, he didn't really do a whole lot in his college career. Like Notre Dame fans right. knew him because he was a talented recruit. They got him out of Florida, but... It hadn't really come to fruition on the field, and that night was when it started. And he's like, where did this guy come from? Because he was the difference in the game. But then, yeah, after that, Stanford just – it just they haven't been the same. They've pretty much lost their entire identity. And uh, here we are. But we didn't even mention the 2012 game. We got to get to that because that was one of the best – that was one of the most fun games to watch as an Notre Dame fan um, that I can remember. Oh, yeah, it was epic. Um, one of my f- favorite games in, in that stadium. I think I'd probably put it up there. Second or third loudest moments I've ever heard once they announced that that play was upheld on fourth down for the goal line stand. Um, probably right in between the the Zivikowski punt return against USC and Clemson last year. But um, it was uh, that was an awesome game, and it, it meant a lot at the time. It was a, a huge game, and that was a good Stanford team that they beat. David Shaw complained a bunch about it after afterwards, so that was even better to rub it in his face. Um, but you're right. I think that that was – Kind of just a validation for Notre Dame that they had finally gotten up to Stanford's standard of physical play and maybe even out-physicaled them in that game. I think that was a really big turning point in, in just how they viewed themselves compared to Stanford. Before that, that might have been the ugliest game of all time. Well, 2014 was pretty damn ugly. <laughs> that's actually, that's true. <laughs> and it was colder, a lot colder. That's true. We were just talking about that this <laughs> not being prepared for the cold, and then it has this insane finish when Golson found uh, Ben Koyak. Koyak on that fourth down. But in 2012, Golson goes out with a concussion, then Reese comes in. Was it raining the whole game? I feel like it was. It wasn't really raining that much at the start of the game. Um, it like it downpoured in overtime, and then in, fourth, <laughs> in the fourth quarter, um, which is partially why Brees' touchdown pass is like six yards behind TJ Jones um, that he ends up with. But yeah, it was it was a wet, wet day in South Bend, but it was a blast. Yeah, it was a unbelievable throw that he had on third down, though, to hit um, Theo Riddick on that wheel route mm-hmm. onto the backfield, and a great catch, too, the way he could adjust to the ball. And then, yeah, an insane catch by TJ Jones with the ball behind him. Makes the catch, and already makes the goal line stand, and one of the Biggest wins of the Brian Kelly era. And at the time, I was running around my house in the living room because I think that was the first time Notre Dame had started off 6-0 and in God knows how long. And now that's just like par for the course. Since 2002, I think, yeah. Yeah, wow. <laughs> so you're right. That provided a sense of validation. And it was only two years removed from that 2010 game where Notre Dame got ran off the field. 
Right. Yeah. No, you're right. I mean, that 2014 game was another one where it felt like a lot bigger at the time. Um, I just remember they were obsessed at that point in time with playing that Fallout Boy song, Centuries, and they played oh it God. over the loudspeaker probably like 17 times. Yeah. What was up with that song? Because I think that was the ESPN like it college was. football theme song. You, yeah. It's just in your head constantly. But that was like that year, everything pointed towards Florida State. And just like that was the one game we kind of had to get over before. Well, obviously, North Carolina ended up being a close game too, but that one was like. All right, we got to get passes somehow on what fourth and eighteen or whatever it was. Golson nails Koyak in the corner of the end zone. Um, that was awesome, and I, I remember a bunch of other top ten teams lost that day, so it started to feel like a season of destiny. Obviously, we know how that season went off the rails, <laughs> but but at the time, it felt it felt pretty uh, okay. Something's going on here. Yeah, and then especially with Golson coming back too after the year long mm-hmm. suspension, he does he has a play like that. Um, it, it yeah it just it went off the rails. We've talked about that a lot before. So uh, I don't really expect um, anything close this weekend to some of the games we've had in the past. This should be a blowout. Stanford on defense. We already mentioned they don't really have a whole lot going on there. But what else could you tell us about that? It's ugly. Um, that's what I can tell you about that. Uh, I mean, they allow over thirty one points per game, uh, four hundred forty five yards per game. And also, um, they reside in the hundreds nationally, like ranked wise, and everything pretty much. Uh, so that means yards per game, uh, yards per play, sacks, tackles for loss, interceptions, and turnover margin. It's it's really bad. Um, they're they're probably the worst at stopping the run. Uh, they allow almost 242 yards per game on the ground. It's good for 127th nationally. Only Kansas is worse among Power Five teams. Um, they actually aren't that bad at stopping the pass, but that's a little bit deceptive. Teams just don't throw on them because they just run all over them. They're like top 30 in pass defense, but it's, it's not because they're good at it. It's just because teams don't have to throw. That's, that's what's actually going on there. I I will say in terms of personnel, um, Caillou blue Kelly is their best player. and, And yes, his name is spelled K-Y-U, but it's pronounced like that bald Canadian kid from that uh, Caillou TV show from growing up. Interesting sidebar, as I, I wanted to make sure I knew how to pronounce his name. His father is a former USC cornerback named Brian Kelly. So uh, no relation to the head ball coach for us, but uh, interesting, I found. That kid, that kid is going to play in the NFL, and he's helped that passing defense, but... Other than him, you know, their secondary really hasn't lived up to what they probably hoped before the season. Um, their star safety, Jonathan McGill, and and their number two cornerback, Salim Turner Muhammad, both had pretty significant preseason injuries. They're they're back now, but they're just not really up to form. And I mean, the rest of the defense has has struggled as as a result. Yeah, the fact that they can't stop the run, it's almost like are they not even getting in the way? Like, what are they doing? They can't tackle. There's just gaping holes. Notre Dame could have 200-yard rushers, but quick, without looking it up, who is Notre Dame's second leading rusher? On the season? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Tyler Buckner? It is Tyler Buckner, yeah. Really? Is Logan Diggs close? Yeah, he's creeping up. He's got 203 yards, uh, which honestly seems kind of low. Buckner has 280, and then Kyron has uh, 928. But I was thinking, like, could Notre Dame have 200-yard rushers in this game? And I don't know who those two – well, obviously Kyron would be one, but who would be the other one? 
because mm-hmm. we could see more Tyree, assuming he's a little bit healthier. Could yeah. be Diggs. Could honestly be Buckner if he's playing the whole second half again. And hell, we could see more estimate. Like, I don't really know, but I could see it happening. I just don't know who the two are. Yeah, so, I, I mean, going in the theme of the 2003 game I mentioned earlier, Julius Jones uh, hit 1,000 yards for the season in that game, so it would be nice to see Kyron do that. I think he's at, like, what, nine? He's not that far off. 928, yeah. Okay, I thought he, was, I thought he had that going into the last game. Well, regardless, uh, it's still doable if that is what the figure is. Um, so I would like to see that happen. But, yeah, for a second one, I think I, I, think I would say Diggs. I think I would. Okay, I just looked it up on FoxSports.com. Shout mm-hmm. out to my new employer. I don't think I mentioned that on this podcast. I work at Fox Sports now. Yeah, there you go. But um, Kyron is 928. I just don't think he he didn't really get that many carries against uh, Georgia Tech. Yeah, anyways, uh, the rest of this defense, are there any names you really need to know? Thomas Booker, the defensive end, he's pretty good. He's got 46 tackles on the year. Only one and a half sacks, though, so not really a ton of pressure. Like I mentioned, they're not very good at that across the board. Uh, they have another two-way guy, Tucker Fisk, plays tight end and D-line, so you'll see him a little bit. And then um, they got a linebacker who's all right, Levani Damuni. Um, he was one of kind of like the four upperclassmen inside linebackers Stanford's had who were pretty highly touted, but the rest of them have kind of stunk or just not been healthy. And so he's the one that's been healthy. He leads the team in tackles with around 80, but um, – I'm seeing no reason why Notre Dame can't have its way with the Cardinal. I think the second half surge on offense continues, and it's kind of just another do what you want, pick your score kind of game. Yeah, they might not be, they might not score as many points this week just because I think they're going to run the ball the whole game, and it's going to be you know a quick clock, and I don't know like how many deep shots they're going to take or how much they're going to pass at all, but we'll see. But thinking about the Tucker Fist thing, that's already two Stanford players that we mentioned um, who either are on this team or played on the 2010 team um, that are two-way players. Other than Travis Thomas for Notre Dame back in 2006, have we had a two-way player during our lifetimes? Oh, boy. That's a good question. I feel like there is one. Um, Help us out if you know. Hit us up on Twitter. I mean, technically, I would say Avery Davis. Yeah, I guess. Uh, not at the same time. Not at the but. same time, right. Um, I can't think of one. I feel like there might have been one in the early 2000s, but I was like five. They used to, like, in the early 2000s, for, like, end of half plays, put some Marja back on defense just at the goal line. Yeah. And just, but that wasn't actually two, two-way, obviously. Um, Jesus, there's got to be one. We're definitely missing this. This is bothering me. I know. Someone will correct us. I have no yeah. doubts about that. Um, on offense, it's really not much better. A little bit better than their defense, yeah. but they're just hurting. They've got Tanner McKee back. Um, he's their quarterback. He was out for a couple games with a leg injury. He was actually a really highly touted recruit, um, even a top 50 player nationally, according to 24-7 Sports, back in 2018. But then he took a two-year LDS mission and then joined the program again in 2020. He was back on the field last week against Cal, but didn't look that great. He finished 26 of 43, but he averaged just 5.6 yards per completion. So a lot of it was just dink and dunk. He threw two picks, zero touchdowns. Um, we mentioned how they can't run the ball, and they they just they simply can't. They only gain, on average, 90.2 yards per game. Yeah. McKee actually has some decent guys to throw to. If he ever gets a clean pocket, which is pretty rare, <laughs> to be honest with you. Stanford has given up 30 sacks already this season, which 
is actually only one, it's one behind what Notre Dame has given up. So that tells you how bad the beginning of this year was. They started the season with a situation similar to Notre Dame on the offensive line because they had to replace three guys who went to the NFL and they've had to play a bunch of young guys. But these guys just haven't been able to develop in the way that Notre Dame's offensive line has as the season has gone along. Right. And I think that's been a theme at Stanford the last several years. Um, Lack of development. Shocker. David Shaw can't develop. Um, I'm just going to take every shot I get. I was just going to say any possible opportunity to take a dig. I mean, he's just an ass. He's an ass. And I hope he makes an ass of himself again this Saturday night. It's so funny because he's not a very like animated guy. He's not like Dan Mullen where now he gets canned and everyone is just dumping on him because he's been such an asshat. Did you see that quote today? From Drinkwitz? The Missouri coach? Yeah. Oh, yeah, and when he when he left his last post-game press conference after they beat Florida and when he did the Darth Vader thing to sort of mock what Dan Mullen did the year before when he showed up to the post-game press conference in a full-blown Darth Vader costume, and I don't know. We've, we've shared our feelings about Mullen many times in this podcast. He's just the absolute worst. I don't even think he would have been fired um, if he wasn't such just – well, I mean, ass, so basically. the Drinkwitz quote today was was just absolutely hysterical, I thought. he. So I don't know if you remember this, but Florida and, and Mizzou got into a brawl last year after Florida kind of dominated them. And Mullen was right in the center of it, yeah. Yeah, and so Drinkwitz's quote was, My father was a farmer, and there's an old saying, you reap what you sow. If you sow kindness, you reap kindness. If you sow jackass, you reap jackass. <laughs> So he's talking about the irony of Mullen being fired now. The same goes for David Shaw. He's a jackass, and now he's getting blown up. I love how you brought it back to Shaw. But um, the one thing Stanford does have is a good tight end, and uh, Ben Urasek, he's a big dude, 6'5", has 37 catches for 556 yards with a pair of touchdowns. They've got a couple receivers in Elijah Higgins and John Humphreys who are both pretty tall, and they can be a problem for corners in one-on-one situations. But that's pretty much it. Um You've already mentioned Tucker Fisk. He's the backup tight end. And this offense just sucks. They can't run the ball. They can't pass. They're 92nd in the country in passing efficiency, and they can't protect the quarterback, which, you know, it's not necessarily a recipe for success going against this Notre Dame defense. It's actually a recipe for disaster. And and, uh, I I anticipate probably seven more sacks on Saturday. What did we have this past week? Seven? Yeah. Yeah, that's why they maybe just shouldn't play Tanner McKee. Like, just like if we see a fourth backup quarterback in a row, I, I would not be surprised. Um, at some point, I mean, staying out of injury because he's already banged up, right? And he's going to take a beating again on Saturday night. All right. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to disagree with that. So let's do. Uh, let's get on to some predictions. What do you got? I already kind of hinted this, but I'm going to say it again. We're replicating 2003. I actually do think we score more this week than last week. I'm going 57-6. Uh, so one point off from that 2003 mark we mentioned earlier. I think Kyron reached the 1,000-yard mark. Maybe he has 200 yards of his own, just like Julius Jones did on that night at the farm 18 years ago. Um After the last three games and considering Stanford's been outscored something like 79 to 11 in their last two home games, it's hard to see how Stanford is going to score a touchdown, Uh, especially with McKee, you know, who knows what he actually looks like. I think the Notre Dame offense continues to cook, probably has a defensive touchdown or two as well, and and the Irish going conference championship weekend, 11 and 1 waiting on some help. All right. I'm going to go with a slightly smaller margin of victory. 
I'm going to say 38-3 to Notre Dame because last weekend's performance seems almost impossible to replicate because it was just one of those days where literally everything went Notre Dame's way and they just put it on Georgia Tech. Stanford's at home. I think their team has some semblance of pride, uh, so they should put up at least somewhat of a fight. Will it be much? I doubt it, but it should be enough to prevent Notre Dame from putting up another 50-burger defensively. I think that unit Do you really, really think they have pride? Have you seen their last couple games? <laughs> I think... I don't know. Maybe. Maybe I'm thinking too highly of Sanford right now. I think you're just giving them the benefit of the doubt, and they unfortunately have no pride. (laughs) I guess we'll find out on Saturday. But speaking of pride, I think this defense really wants to go through the month of November without giving up a touchdown. That's an insane accomplishment, Mm -hmm. despite the fact the schedule has been objectively pretty easy down the stretch. They face some backup quarterbacks. So I'll take the Irish 38 to three, but I want to speak this into existence. I think George Takis finds his way into the end zone. Um, He almost did last week. And then they ran a play to him on the very next play to try to get, get the ball to him there. It didn't work out, but I got a feeling. I don't know why. Okay. I like touchdown Notre Dame 38 to three. I think he's only got one for his career. It was a Duke a couple years ago. So I'd like to see him get in. You got any other road predictions? You called it. Defensive touchdown. Yeah. Kyron, 200 yards. I'm going to say Foskey gets that defensive touchdown. He got it two years ago for the backdoor cover, which was huge. Um, I think he gets another one after, you know, helping some other guys get some. I think it's Foskey that gets in the end zone this weekend. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, He's been the cause of a bunch of other defensive touchdowns just by putting pressure on the quarterback, forcing fumbles, leading to interceptions, a whole bunch of stuff. But that's about all I got on Sanford. You got anything else? No. I, I wish that it was more interesting, but it's just unfortunately not. I know. Well, there'll be plenty of interesting stuff to happen out in the college football world outside of that game this weekend and the following weekend, because like you mentioned, Notre Dame needs some help if they want to get into the college football playoff for the third time in four seasons. But um, that'll do it for this episode of Sons of Saturday Irish. Thank you guys for listening. I hope you all have a great Thanksgiving holiday and enjoy the game on Saturday. We'll talk to you Tuesday. Tuesday.